Welcome to the Equipped Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of business and entrepreneurship. Each episode, we will bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs and business owners who are making waves in the marketplace. From sales strategies to marketing innovations, leadership insights, and effective lead generation, this is your go-to source for staying ahead in the business game. Now let's get equipped for success and get to today's episode. Before we get into today's episode of the Equipped Podcast, I want to take this time and give a shout out to our two exclusive sponsors of today's show, Prospects and Mint Leads. Both of these organizations focus on lead generation and getting you qualified leads on your calendar that can convert to new business. And if you are running a business and you are finding yourself constantly in the hunt for growth opportunities... The key often lies in having access to qualified leads, and that's where our sponsors come in. Prospects is a LinkedIn marketing organization that helps you with qualified leads, but then helps you create content that convert. The team at Mint Leads helps you with your emails. They help you get your emails opened and in front of the right people at the right time. If you would like more information about either of these organizations, head over to goprospect.com and schedule a call today. That's G-O-P-R-O-S-P-E-X.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Equipped Podcast. This is your host, Lane Taylor, and I'm excited to bring people to this show and share stories and insights of those shaping the world around us, and today we're thrilled to have Brad Flowers join us. Brad not only is the co-founder of Bullhorn Creative, a firm that crafts impact brands through the power of language and design, but he's also deeply committed to the ethos of positive change. As a proud B Corp, Bullhorn Creative stands as a testament to Brad's belief in harnessing business as a force for good and for transformation. Beyond his work, at Bullhorn, Brad is also the mind behind the naming book, Five Steps to Creating Brand and Product Names That Sell. We're also we're going to dive deep into that naming businesses and naming things, and I'm ex- I'm really excited to that to to talk about that. And so his dedication to community and service shines through his role as a founder and the current board president of Broke Spoke Community Bike Shop, where he continues to impact lives. So I want to welcome to the Equipped Podcast, Brad Flowers. Brad, welcome. Thanks, Lane. You excited to dive in? I want to. I want to know all about the naming. I want to know more about Bullhorn. I'm excited to learn more about you. I'm pumped. I'm ready. I can talk about myself all day long. <laughs> That's right. Well, give the listeners a little bit of a high uh, a view of who you are, what it is that you guys do, and we'll go from there. That it, that reminded me of a funny anecdote. I've a there's a Kentucky author named Wendell Berry who I, I like a lot, and I saw him in the airport one time, and he and his wife were eating, and I went up. I was like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just really wanted to tell you how much your books mean to me. And he looked over and he said, well, I admire your taste in literature. <laughs> so, so saying that I, I enjoy talking about myself is sort of like, sort of like that. Anyway, Wendell Berry, look him up if you don't know him. Famous Kentuckian, uh, important writer. So Bullhorn, let's see, where was I? That was kind of off track, but um, so Bullhorn started, or actually I started Bullhorn in 2008. Uh, I was managing a bicycle shop. 
And this is not broke spoke. I was managing a for-profit bike shop. During that time, I had kind of two key insights. One, I was applying to PhD programs because I thought I would uh, get a degree in literature and talk about books. Two, um, I, 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 so the, the, while I was doing that, the interesting insight I had was that I didn't really like to teach. So I had this idea of getting a PhD in, in literature and teaching, but I didn't want to teach. So that was problem number one. Um, an interesting thing, number two, is as I was working at the shop, I ended up managing the front, helping think about, you know, what are we going to order? Uh, what what sort of things do we want to buy for this year? How do we s- kind of sell them, merchandise them? All of the things that, that what I didn't realize was that I was getting this really cool, important business 101 lesson. And so I actually became interested in business. And for me, that never occurred to me that you could just start a business that just like wasn't part of our family growing up, wasn't part of the conversation. Um so I didn't want to teach, wanted to do some sort of business. And from that, I had a friend who was doing a, a citywide music festival. I was working uh, on, on in the bike industry, doing marketing there and also marketing a citywide bicycling event. And we thought we'd start a company. We started Bullhorn with the idea that we would do uh, event marketing. Lesson number one is when you when you start a business and no one wants to pay you to do said service, you kind of have to quickly pivot. So we uh, we learned a lot from that, and it did. They did want us to do a lot of free work. To be clear, like they wanted the work, they just didn't want to pay for it. Um, so yeah, we we uh, to get get us back on course here. We the last fifteen years, I think, can be summed up in three ways: thinking about what do we like doing. And what are we good at? What creates a solid foundation for a sustainable business financially, primarily, but in other ways? And then the third is what's the impact that we're having on our neighborhood? So mm-hmm. over the years in that first part, what do we think we're good at and like doing has got actually gotten quite a bit smaller. We started off thinking kind of generalized marketing, advertising, whatever you need, we'll do. Now we just do naming, brand identity, brand launch. So that's kind of we've, we've really honed in over the, the course of 15 years. And alternatively, alternatively, uh, that third one, what, what's the impact on our neighborhood? We've gotten quite a bit more ambitious. So we became a B Corp in 2017, recertified in 2022, and actually just submitted paperwork yesterday for our, our second recertification, which, which we're excited about and are making some great progress internally. Um, and, and so I think that, that brings us, that's basically the, the long story medium. I wouldn't say long story short, but <laughs> no, that's good. And I, I want to dig down a little bit because so it's really cool. I love talking with business owners, entrepreneurs, founders, and I myself, Brad, I can relate because I didn't come yeah. from a family that entrepreneurship or building a business or starting a business was ever in the cards, period, point blank, never in the cards. Yeah. And so for you, what was that like? Why do you think it changed for you? What were some of the things? And I guess the reason I ask is because we do have listeners in the audience that want to start something, but they just don't know what to do or what to start. So it's like, what was that for you when you realized that you, you could do something? Well, I think towards the end of my time at the, at the bike shop, I was there for four years and I, I had a sense that I had a pretty clear idea of like what went into running it and, and, and how to do it. I knew I didn't want to run a bike shop. It's just a difficult industry, small town, et cetera. We can talk about it later. I did see a gap in service for folks 
We have, there are people who come in the front door who want to pay for the service. Also, we had people who would knock on the back door. So I, I saw a gap to serve those folks who couldn't afford it. And that's, that ended up being the idea behind Broke Spoke. Um, but so I, I had an idea that I thought I could do it. And then funnily enough, it, it's a time not too dissimilar to the last couple of years, probably, and what some folks have experienced in 2008. I left that job and thought I'd just kind of like, I left in August and I intended to just work on my house for a couple of months and then get a job at an ad agency. I thought I'd be a copywriter. Um, And just through the course of that summer and that fall, the economy got worse and worse and worse and the job market constricted and constricted. And if someone would have hired me during that period, I probably never would have started Bullhorn. But, you know, just no one was hiring. There was nothing out there. And we had a few leads of people who needed someone to help them do, do some work to get going. And so we thought we'll give it a shot. You know, we'll see, you know, we'll see if it goes for a year and just like try. (laughs) And so I became a reluctant entrepreneur mainly because of, I don't know, situation. Yeah. So, okay. You started, was it kind of the event marketing stuff? Is that what you began with? Yeah, event and like we worked a lot with local businesses doing, you know, local business marketing, I would say is probably a lot of what we did. What what, what was that in the beginning? I'll tell you the funniest job we ever did and um, has nothing to do with marketing, but a friend called and we, I mean, we were broke and the friend called and um, there's this big fundraiser for the school of design at the university of Kentucky. And she was like, Hey, I have no idea what bullhorn is, but I'm doing this big event and our beer vendor backed out. Can you guys sell beer? <laughs> so we were like, we could probably figure that out. <laughs> so we got a, a one day liquor license and like a U-Haul full of beer and did that. So that, just to give you a sense of the scale of like how, where we came from, like literally counting singles in the back of a U-Haul with like a headlamp on and our fingers all like gray because the money was so dirty and grubby. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, there. And then we we had another friend who had a, a landscaping company and they needed a new website. They gave us a shot. We did a good job on that. They said, hey, you know, do you guys have any ideas? We're this problem where we're it's all of our bids are kind of low price and we're having a hard time, like getting the margin that we want. And so we're we we're like, yeah, you should invest in your brand, because like if you tell the story of why you do it, people will be willing to pay more. They were like, I don't think so. But they ended up giving us the opportunity. We made a brand video for them, which at that time, like no landscaping companies had. And it was a huge success. And so we started, I think that was really the turning point of where we really started honing in on less like what's the marketing message for this week or next week. And what's this kind of like brand vision for 20 years that we're trying to cast. And and so that that was kind of the beginning of planted the seed of what took again a few more years to really realize but um helped us see what we really were good at and and what we love doing oh i love it i love like and i like what's so cool about building and helping brands and, and brand identity and also the again the naming of the brand and why you do things I believe that, and you would most likely probably agree, so we're probably going to be talking the same language here, that if you don't know why you're doing business with a company, most likely you may not be doing business. That's what I've seen in the marketplace, and I know that 
you've been doing it since for for a long time now. So mm-hmm. why do you like why do you think that you all started to do that in the beginning or early on before most people realized that it was important? Because again, the the why behind businesses is such a especially for the generation that's coming up. And mm-hmm. I you probably I mean I, everyone wants a why behind something. So yeah. why why do you think that you personally and maybe your partners when did you realize that? Why did you realize that? I think it probably gets to the same sort of seed of why we wanted to become a B Corp, I think. And it's it's probably because because we we weren't we didn't start it because we wanted to be business people, but mm-hmm. business was a tool to do what we wanted to do in the world. And and so I I think we always had that sense of like marketing or branding or whatever it was that that in itself isn't really enough to get us up and get going and like Mm. work we just don't care about it that particular thing enough like what is the real thing we're trying to do which the real thing we're trying to do is remove brand barriers for organizations so that then they can go realize their their visions and create the big impact that we want to have so I, th- I think it's that sense of what we wanted to do with our company, which gave us the insight for other companies of like, in, you know, if you actually, and what we would hear, you know, we would hear this guy, this, per, for example, this, he, our friend, he was a generation older. He's probably my dad's age. So hearing him uh, talk about why he does landscaping and, and talking about the design and like the joy he gets out of designing spaces that create people's lives and that like define their lives and give them peace and joy. Like when you hear people talk about that sort of stuff, when you, then to like go, okay, what we really need to talk about is like, uh, you know, a percentage on mowing grass. It's, it's just like, it's crazy. It's like, heck, how do you, you can't even go from that to the other thing. So, yeah. um, you know, here, I think partly it was, it was our desire to do something different with our company. And then hearing him talk so passionately, we thought, man, if we could bottle that people will buy it. Uh, and then we know it turns out it worked. Yeah. Oh, I, lo- I love that. I love hearing stories of where they came from and the marketing. And what's, what's awesome about what you all do is it's the, the naming component and naming offering is such yeah. a vital, crucial role. So, is that right now in the market? How would like, why is it important to really think about the name of your organization? And like, why is it so important? Like, st- like stress to the aud- the audience, why that is. Well, I, th- I think it's a couple of things. One, one, the, the biggest you know, the biggest thing in demand right now is attention. It's, it's like everyone's attention is so stretched. Like I'm not the first person to say that. That just like is what it is. So I'd love to talk about, you know, storytelling and all of that sort of stuff, which is probably true, but probably the most important thing your name can do is if it can grab someone's attention for a half second and then let some of the other brand elements start to reach in. So it's like, I have a tell a story in the book. There was a brand of burritos. It's there. It's spelled E V O L. I don't even know how, I don't even know how you're supposed to say it. Evil, evil. I don't, I don't know the way it's rendered. It looks like it's supposed to be love backwards. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this, like I'm looking for something. I'm like, what could I possibly send in my kid's lunch? I'm like dying here and looking through all the stuff. And then like those burritos stand off the shelf just because of the name. And I don't even like the name. I don't even think it's a particularly good name, but 
because it like, it made me think about it. You know, I buy, I bought a handful of them. And so, so I think that's, that's just like a, a, a kind of a silly example to get at like a truer point, which is if your name can kind of crack the door open just a hair, then the graphic design, the brand language, the storytelling, the quality of the product or service, all of those things can start to fill in the gaps. Uh, so I, I think it probably now comes down to just giving you a chance. There's so much competition. Yeah. Can, can businesses and organizations, if they already have their name, they've been established, it's not doing what they want it to do. Do you, do you work with people that rename that have another iteration? Like what's that like? We do it all the time that I would say that's probably what we're best at is renaming successful companies who, for whatever reason, oftentimes it's one of two things. It's like, their success has kind of outpaced the original name and the name just doesn't make sense anymore. Or two, it's the name is related to founders of the company who are now handing it off to a second or third generation and they want to put their own stamp on it. So often those are the the two, the, or two of the main reasons. Um, and so it's a, it's a really important question because to me, like if you think of product naming, that's a lot of finding, how do you find a name that's resonant within culture at large or within whatever group you're trying to reach? Renaming a company, I don't think is like that at all. I think most of the time what you need to be doing is spending the time looking inward because you want a name that is reflective of the dynamic culture that you've already built. And so in that case, what's important isn't like coming up with some like hypothetical customer group that you're trying to like target. It's, it's really like doing that deep thinking of who are we, why do we do this? What are our values as a group of people? And so when we work with companies like that, the tools that we bring to bear aren't like traditional marketing companies. Like we're looking at who does this and who's good at it. And we think, okay, probably like anthropologists are really good at it because they have to jump in, get to know a group that's different from them really quickly. And so we're using some of those same ethnographic tools to get to know a company super fast and then kind of reflect that back. And it's like, does this sound right? And then we can go from that common footing to then come up with a name that's really galvanizing. And so I think that's the cool part about those projects is how much the internal team, like it can, it can really like turn the lights on in an organization where it feels like you're just kind of like floating to all of a sudden everyone's like super engaged and proud and, you know, want the t-shirt where before they were giving away the t-shirts or whatever the example might be. All right. So I've got to know the process because, and I want in the process with this, with a cool success story. Like I'm so glad we went down this path. So could you share with us a success story of, you know, you got in, you learned about their branding, you learned about what they did and you came up with something that resonated and everyone loved, like kind of, I would love to hear a story like that. Sure. Um, let's see. Put you on the spot. So I can tell I'll start with the process and then I can probably come up with two different stories. So the, the process is pretty much the same each time in terms of the steps. And then depending on the organization, like how far we go in each step is a little different. First step is coming to terms on what's the criteria. So this is the, this is where we want to know, like, what, what are the actual things that are going to, we're going to use to determine if this is a good name or not. And it's going to be a mix of hard and soft criteria, hard criteria being things you could say yes or no to, like, uh, does it have a .com URL or .ai or .io or whatever you want it to be? Uh, does it have social handles that I can have? Is it 
um, is a, the trademark going to be viable? Those sorts of things. Then the softer stuff will be more like, uh, is it on tone? Is it resonant with the culture? Um, you know, is it memorable? Is it spellable? Is it easy to spell for most people? Is it pretty easy to pronounce for most people? So the, the, those would be sort of the criteria. Second phase, then we're going to go off, generate names. We'll generate, you know, depending on the project, two, three, four hundred names usually. And based when we come back, we'll kind of look back at the criteria. And again, to create diversity, we're creating names across all types. So this is like a, a re, an English word, foreign language words, affixed words like Spotify, Shopify, compound words like Facebook, words like um, Pinterest, where they're kind of squished together, people, place. If you think of all the types of names, we want to think across the whole thing so that we're, we're forcing kind of diversity. I could, I, we could talk the whole time about that probably. But um, so <laughs> we, we're generating names, a couple hundred, cut it to like 50 to 70. Uh, we'll send that off to a preliminary trademark screening to knock out all the duds that just aren't, aren't going to be ownable for whatever reason. We'll do some internal testing. And then that third phase is, is really that testing and decision-making. And so we'll work with the clients to create the appropriate decision-making at the end. Hopefully we're not sitting around saying, well, I like this one and I like this one, we're, but we're talking about according to this, like these 12 points that we set out, these are the most successful names, you know, and this, this like executes best on our, um, against our criteria. So success story one interesting one that we did last year, there was a company that had grown through acquisition. The company is called Helpsy, and they uh, work on the East Coast. You've probably seen their bins if you live in Boston or New York, some in the Northeast. They collect huge amounts of used textiles. So that's like a big opportunity. There are tons of, I, I can't remember the stats, but they're staggering how much clothing gets thrown away and not, and not kind of like either recycled or resold or reused or whatever. So they're working in that space and we worked with them, went through a whole naming exercise and actually ended up at the end coming back around and confirming that Helpsy was the best name. It, you know, it was a name that they kind of got through acquisition and so they weren't sure about it, but the process confirmed that they felt like, okay, now we've looked at all the options and um, yeah, we've looked at it and we feel like we're, we're, um, this is the best thing for us. It speaks to our culture. It speaks to what we're trying to do. It's short. We, we have the .com or all, all of the different things. Um, so that was one that's a confirmation. Um, let's see, we have a lot of good ones for I'm trying to think of a good one where the company was, um, well, uh, well, I, this this is a pro bono project, but this was a especially um, I was I was especially proud of it. There there was a mixed use project that was coming in in our neighborhood, and it was an old bus station. They were refurbishing it. They wanted to have a like a market inside, kind of a multi stall market, farmers market, all of the things you can kind of picture. And one of their it was run by a nonprofit, and the goal was to have it really support local entrepreneurs in, and in this place, it was a lot of underrepresented folks. Um, and when they started kind of talking to people in the community, the name had some pretty negative connotations because it's just like, there's a history of the bus line was a segregated bus line, for example, just like lots of, lots of baggage in the community with this particular building. 
And so we ended up talking to people in the community, doing a ton of research, and we found a story of this woman who was a civil rights hero in Lexington. Uh, her name was Julia, Julia Etta Lewis, and she's this really amazing figure. And so we ended up like, okay, that's cool, but that's kind of hard to say. And then we ended up realizing that some folks called her Julietta. And so in, that ended up kind of emerging this Julietta market. And so we were able to tell a story of sort of, of something that most people in the neighborhood had never heard, but her family members, they were still there for the launch and something that a lot of people in the neighborhood were really proud of and excited about. So that's, it's a good example of, um, you know, history is one of the things that's like the main selling point about this particularly particular building. It's like interesting architecturally, but also history is also a lot of the baggage. And so how do you kind of, how do you handle it appropriately so that the neighbors feel like their story's told and that they're listened to and that they're part of it? Um, so that's probably that's one good. of the No, that's a fantastic. No, I love that story. I love hearing success stories. I love hearing things like that and how they're, the proof is in the pudding and the processes. And so that's phenomenal. And I love that. So if, if there's a, if there's someone listening to this right now and they're questioning the naming and their branding, what are some questions that those individuals, founders and entrepreneurs should be asking is like, okay, my brand is being represented well, my name as well, or my name's not well. Like what are some of those things that people and the owners and founders need to be thinking about? Well, then, I think the questions are slightly different probably for your name and your brand. So starting off with the name, that's the biggest decision because even though it doesn't carry all the freight, it still is a significant part of your brand. It's the thing that most people are going to think of first. So, you know, deciding to make a change is, is a serious decision. So in that case, the, the best advice we give is does your name prevent a significant barrier to growth in the future? And that growth could be f for several reasons. Um, there was a company we worked with that was called DMD Data Systems, and it was an IT company. Data Systems sounded really old school and outdated, so they wanted to ditch that. The DMD part was the founder's initials, but also direct doctor of dentistry. So they got calls constantly about like their dental software and they didn't do anything in the dental space at all. And so for them, like their name was a, was a barrier to success. And so we worked with them to create something that was a jumping off point and to where yeah, you can tell the story of how this is uh, like a springboard to this kind of like new era of the company and not like we're hiding something or, so that would be my main thing is because Oftentimes there is some brand equity in the name, but is it a barrier to growth? And is and and, and if it is, like now's the time. Like it's will only get harder. You know, there will be more if you're successful, it's always going to get harder. There's always going to be more letterhead to replace and signs on buildings and websites to rebuild, all that stuff. It just gets gets more expensive. So do it now. Yeah. Um and the visual identity, I think people it's, we just live in a different era where it's like the idea of a fixed visual identity over time. is just not as, I probably doesn't make as much sense since so much stuff lives digitally anyways, that like you really want a, a visual identity that's flexible, scalable. And so I, I would be thinking about kind of evolving that all the time. And how does that evolve to, to really reflect you and the tools that you use, the digital tools reflect the culture um, and you know, it's a big decision because of the implications to potentially replace stuff. I don't know, but I, I think that's 
that's not as, as, as weighty because as in our current era, it, it's just more common to change that more often. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, if, if you're in a situation to where you feel like it doesn't represent you, like we hear a lot of times we have this dynamic culture, we're cool, all of this stuff, we have all this energy, but we have a hard time attracting talent because they see our website or our visual identity makes us look X, Y, and Z. And so if you're hearing those sorts of things, definitely make the change. You'll wish you had done it a lot sooner. Yeah. So, okay. So coming from someone that has written a book and you have an organization that's focusing on, you know, naming and offerings, I'm just curious, not within your ecosystem or people you've worked with, maybe, or maybe so what's your favorite name of an organization that is out in the market? I mean, it can, you can talk about Nike or Adidas, mm -hmm. like what, as, as you look in the marketplace, what's your favorite that you're like, they got that right. Well, funnily enough, I, I was just messing with my dog just now as she was, I left the door open and she was like eating one of my kids' books. So I have a, <laughs> have this new dog who's trying to eat, eat everything in our house. And so there's a, a dog, company called Kong, K-O-N-G. And the name is short. It fits on everything that like hard K is, it, that hard K is a, as an initial consonant tends to really increase memorability. That's um, short. It's like, it, it also, you get kind of like this picture of King Kong and something that's like big and tough and sort of like, um, it, but it still fits within the pet care ecosystem. So I think it's like, memorable short it's like a kind of a powerful little name references this bigger story that puts it in the context of this kind of like tougher animal that's going to get your dog in check uh, and, and kind of signifies that the products will be durable um so that's i was just thinking about that recently because i literally just bought a chew toy but to me that's like a great name it, it's, yeah, it, it works on so many levels that's very good i love it do you do you find that the shorter the name, the better, or what are just some, what are some quick principles that, that you like to apply, you know, the shorter, the better, or the, the consonant, or like, what's, what's uh, some quick principles to think about? It's, that's a, it's actually a really hard question because there's a, whenever you say anything, there are great exceptions to every principle. And so my, <laughs> the, my biggest thing that I would encourage you to do is if you're thinking about naming work on your criteria because it's like, it works if it works for you. So Kong's not a great name for everybody, but it might be a great name for your company. Um, you know, sometimes uh, what's the, like, I can't believe it's not butter. That was that like margarine brand that in like the eighties and nineties, maybe they still exist. I don't know, but there are lots of examples of successful brands that have long names and sometimes counterintuitively, the longer, the more memorable it is because it's just like sticks in your head. Um, but there are a few things like, uh, like I said, that hard, hard consonants tend to make it a little bit more memorable. I would think about pronunciation because if it's a name that's hard to pronounce to your customers, most people will avoid saying it. And you can imagine like, if you go into a restaurant, like no one wants to look like an idiot and mispronounce the pasta or whatever. <laughs> so it's like, so you order something different usually that you can pronounce. So it's like, think about pronunciation. That's important. Um, even if they're not going to say it a ton, they're not going to recommend your product. There are things, other things that assist memorability, like uh, rhyme, um, repeated repeated sounds, like repeated consonant or repeated vowel sounds. Like the things that kind of make poetry nice also mm -hmm. work for names. The hard thing about that is 
use it sparingly because it tends to be like, if you think of like Reese's pieces or Kit Kat, you know, those are a good example. Like Reese's pieces is, is, uh, it rhymes. Kit Kat is that hard K sound that it repeats. They tend to be very memorable, but it also sounds sort of something inexpensive that you would buy. So it's like, if you're selling something that costs a hundred thousand dollars, Kit Kat's probably not the name, but you know, you think of like, there, there are some situations, again, I said pronounceability is important, but like Yves Saint Laurent, it may be like a great name if you're selling like an expensive clothing or something, you know, because yeah. you want it to, sometimes you want to create a sense of like distance. Anyway. Yeah. No, that's so, that's good. I, I've always wondered, and maybe you, you may know this may not, and this may be a tangent and you can just say, hey, I have no idea. What, where did the name Lululemon come from? Do you have any idea about the backstory of that company? I, I don't know a ton about it, but I did do some, I did some research when I wrote the book and it's a story that I don't know if it's true, but supposedly the founder wanted, the founder thought that once he got going in the United States, that it would have, he would have a big market in Japan and Japanese people have a hard time distinguishing between R and L. And so a, a Japanese brand would never be called Lululemon. It sounds super American to them. And so he supposedly he did it thinking about importing into the Japanese market, because uh. if it's hard to say there and if it sounds American, then it would grow quicker like Levi's or something. Got it. Okay. I don't know why I just thought about that. That was a moment of just like, I just wonder what that is. So now there are um, interesting things like that where like R and L's are hard to pronounce for some different cultures, P's and B's sometimes get, yeah, it's, and when you're in an international context, that's why thinking about all this is re- is really important because, you know, you want people to be able to pronounce it. Yeah. Well, your organization with being who you guys are and a B Corp, and we've talked about the why behind things. So for you, Brad, why do you continue to do this? Why, um, why, why Bullhorn, you know, what's the story behind that? Well, Bullhorn, we're still making progress internally. So my work, I don't feel like my work is done there. That's partly why I still do it. We're working on distributing leadership, empowering people, giving people autonomy and and power over the work that they do. So there's a lot that we're doing there that's, I think, exciting. And hopefully we can be a test case for what other organizations can do. Um, Just because we're fairly small and flexible, we we can kind of try a lot of things. And if they don't work, we can try other things. Um, so there's a lot of stuff we're still doing internal, but that's, like I said, that's still, that is kind of incremental that even though we're making improvements, really the, the big things we see are, you know, we're working with a company right now, for example, who is providing tools to primary care physicians to help, to help kind of give tools to people who are pre-diabetic or, uh, have these like, like risk indicators for uh, long-term disease. And if we can help them remove some brand barriers and make it easier to communicate their message to doctors, and if that adoption is taken, and then if all of these people all of a sudden, instead of taking, you know, medicine for the rest of their life are living healthier, fuller lives, like that's really where we see our impact is through the work that our clients do. So if we can really remove some of those barriers for them. Um, that's, that's like the ripple effect that gets us particularly excited. And also why it's like pretty, pretty important for us to seek out the right sort of clients because we, you know, not, 
uh, you know, not everyone has that goal and that's fine. It's no judgment. It's like business exists, you, whatever, but that's just what we're doing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. Everyone that I get to interview entrepreneurs, business owners, people that own businesses, I feel like this is the kind of the, the last tail end of a question and because it's in everywhere right now. And I don't know if, if it's in your market, but AI, I know mm-hmm. AI right now is everywhere, and I know that um, I'm seeing videos on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it now that AI is generating all these videos and all these. I mean, you could. I just feel like it's out there right now. So, what is AI? What's AI going to do for your industry? For for what you all do? Helping, hurting? Like, what, how do you? How, how would you describe it right now for you? Well, there are some clear ways where it's helping already. Um, for example, when if we're doing like a, a a brand launch for a client and you do just collecting and putting together video footage is so much faster now than it used to be through AI tools that just improve and streamline the editing process. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there are some things like that that are just, it's hard to even remember that it's AI because it's baked into other tools that you're already using and it just makes them like... 10 times faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some stuff like that. That's obvious. That's, that's been great. Re, retouch. We have a client right now who's, um, uh, they own a, um, orthodontists. And so it was like, you know, AI can just put braces on someone's teeth and <laughs> like happens really fast. <laughs> it's, you know, where before, like if a designer has to go in there or really that would be so painstaking that we would probably just like find another photograph. Uh, so there's some stuff like that uh, with with photography and video that helps make it easier. Um, also, it helps us kind of spot potential pitfalls when we're going through a naming exercise. Like, what would someone likely, what connotations would someone likely have with these names? Um, what industries would this set of names best, you know, be in? So it can help us with that. That's that's been good. Um, I would say the question mark areas are more on the, so it's like research and testing has, as is really good. It's the generation part. That's a little bit unknown and I'm not, and I just don't know enough yet. So, uh, so far the preliminary thoughts are that names, names, for example, generated by an AI are unlikely to be protectable via trademark Mm -hmm. uh, because they're just not ownable intellectual property. So if that's the case, that has some pretty big implications and how would you test it, et cetera. So for right now, we don't, we don't use AI to generate any names. We're all, we're doing all the name generation ourselves. Um, and then same with, same with logos where, you know, AI can obviously design logos for things, but right now we're doing it all ourselves because there's just this question of ownability and we don't want to make something from our clients that down the track, they're not going to be able to protect um, they're, we're, they're not going to be able to protect their investment. So th- those are some like cool uses. And then also some like question marks and also some potential pitfalls for people. You're naming your business. It's going to be tempting to just like, you know, what should I name my f- fast growth startup, put it into an AI, but think twice about doing it uh, because they're just, it's just not sure that, that that's, that you're going to be able to protect yeah. it. And if you can't like, you know, your brand's probably going to be a big part of what you hope to either pass on or sell at some point in the future. So think about it. Yeah. 
Well, if someone's listening to this right now, Brad, I, this has been phenomenal and makes me think about all the people and organizations I'm involved with of like, I wonder if that name is right. Or I wonder if <laughs> my, uh, all the podcasts that we have, is that right? Is that resonating with people? And so if someone's listening to this right now, they want to work with you all. They want to look at what it would look like to work with you all. What's the best way to find you? Do you guys have anything online that they can read? What's your book? Kind of plug yourself here. Yeah. You can find the book at thenamingbook.com if you want to look at it, but it's really, it's available, I think, anywhere you would normally buy books. So all kind of all over Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatever bookstores you would go to. If they don't have it, they can order it. Tell your library to order it. I did that to my library. So we have a copy <laughs> at my library. I don't know that's ever been checked out. Uh, um, so namingbook.com and uh, bullhorncreative.com. Also, if you want to know about naming specifically, it's bullhorncreative.com forward slash naming. Uh, that's all, all about our naming practice and gives you some idea, insight into process, some other, lots of case studies that are naming specific and um, also some pricing. So I'm sure you'll be curious about that. And, uh, we, and I think we're Bullhorn Creative kind of everywhere on the internet. So if you're Instagram, X, Facebook, LinkedIn. <laughs> Brad Flowers on LinkedIn. That's amazing. Fantastic. Well, Brad, thank you so much. This conversation, every time I look down, it's we're near 40 minutes. And I'm just like, these conversations can go so fast. It's amazing. I'm so intrigued about it. So yeah, uh, I appreciate you. Thank you for everything that you do. I love the business that you have. And guys, if you're listening to this, I endorse working with someone like Brad, what they are doing in the marketplace. And so make sure you go and follow along. Uh, send them a message, see what you guys, see if you have the best name that you could and maybe work together. So Brad, again, thanks for jumping on the equipped podcast and I've enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks so much guys. Before you head out of here, like I say at the end of every episode, and hopefully you don't get sick of me saying it. If you go on Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom, give us a five-star rating and a five-star review and share the show. If you or someone else in your network could really use a new name for their business, go share the episode with them. And so until next time, Brad, again, thank you so much. And we'll see you again on the next episode of the Equipped Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Equipped Podcast. Do me a favor. Go to Apple, scroll all the way to the bottom, give us a five-star rating and a five-star review. Better yet, share this with someone that you think it would add value to. And if you think you would be a good guest on the Equipped Podcast, shoot me an email at lane at goprospect.com. That's L-A-N-E at G-O-P-R-O-S-P-E-X dot com. Until next time, see you guys.